0: Welcome to the Grass Matters Podcast. I'm James Fremantle, your host for today, and I'm really pleased to introduce our guests, David and Nick Allen, who you'll hear more about shortly. Now, the theme of today's podcast is about planning, really. It's about farming with a succession plan and planning for success. And uh, the Allen family from Western Victoria is a really good example of this. I'd like to welcome David and and ask you, David, your family farm was established in 1906, I believe. Can you tell us where it is and what it is and a little bit of the family history?
1: Certainly, James. Um, Yes, we've we've been on this farm for uh, 114 odd years now. Uh, My grandfather bought this place Baruch, it's about 13 kilometres north of Mortlake in the Western District, so 240-odd kilometres straight, pretty much straight west of Melbourne. Um, it's it, it's about 5,000 acres uh, uh, with a few changes over the years with various generations sort of coming and going and um, uh, and, and it's good sort of mixed grazing type country, sheep and cattle. Um, You mentioned succession. Well, my grandfather in 1935 um, split the place. He accumulated a fair bit of land when he was uh, young and and, and, uh, building a business. And um, in 1935, he decided he'd retire and go fishing down in Portland and bought a house down there and split the place up seven ways between three sons and four daughters. Uh, and they all got sort of roughly around 1500 odd acres each, or thereabouts. So the three brothers, uh, my father Bill Allen and his brother Ron, went into partnership and a very successful partnership, right through until 1966. And the other brother, Jim Allen, uh, established. He was older, and he established South Baruch, which uh, was a, is a very was a very well known um, Hereford stud. Um, so there was a bit of a precedent there for uh, for succession planning, and and then my father did a similar thing with us. Uh, not not that he went fishing, but he he uh, handed it over to me, and um, uh, and and now I've done a sort of similar thing to Nick. So uh, there were some good lessons there in in planning and. Yeah, the fact that we're still here uh, after 114 years, I guess, is, is sort of testament to that. And also, a big question that we, that I like talking about, is sustainability and um, and the implications of all that down the track and how that works and what what's involved in in actual sustainability.
0: You know, I can imagine if you if you've been on a place for over 100 years and you're not farming sustainably, then your your ground wouldn't be producing for you in the way you need it to be. Um, what, what and I know you've had a lot of involvement with land care, David. Uh, has that been a key to that sustainability part of the business? Oh,
1: I I think so. Certainly, um, I was I went to um, I left school and went Jackarooing uh, up in the Riverina and had a lot of fun. Then went to and Ag College. For a couple of years, and did a diploma course there uh, in the early 70s. We were the second intake into Glenormiston, so that was that was interesting, interesting time. Um, uh, and and yeah, we, we've just uh, over the years, I've done been involved in land care, but also done a holistic management course with Graham Hand, as part of the sort of Alan Savory thinking. So uh, and a farm planning course in in the early 90s. So all these sort of things have been ticking away in the background and accumulating knowledge, I guess, of of what can what you can do on farms, what could be done, and what uh, what looks good and what is good, and without without going into the detriment of the productivity of the farm. And you know, there's been a lot of work done on the Hamilton path Research Station, not all that far from us, um, where they can get up to sort of 10 to 20 percent uh trees uh and without any um without any um di- distraction from the um from the productivity of the farm so um yeah there, there's a lot that can be done and and I've, I've been sort of we've been planting trees for years and years here and and our landscape is different so there's no doubt about that uh so i think that, that as you said that's all helped
0: so David, that that whole sustainability movement and whole farm planning really did transform Western Victoria uh, with the Potter Farmland Plan and Landcare, and um, you would have come across, I imagine, my cousin Andrew Campbell in that in, in that time.
1: Yes, I certainly did meet him
0: in the early days of the Potter Farm.
1: But, um, and that was uh, that they were pioneers, really. Of, uh, of landscape sort of changing um, and and, and the landscape back to well, what it could have been or what it what it uh, what it is today it, it's certainly a different landscape from uh, those old old cold cold the pleurisy plain days you know back in the back in the 60s 50s and 60s yeah. um but yeah we used to buy our bulls from one of the corner farms there a place called helmview and uh, he had a, on his bull catalogue, he had a picture of birds, which I thought was, so was really interesting for a bull salesman to have uh, photos of birds on his on the front of his catalogue. Uh, but he was a really interesting character, Chris, and uh, did an
0: amazing job with his property Helmview up there. Yeah, I always uh, think of driving past some of those properties on my way back to, to home to Hamilton and, and uh, watching the red gums burst the the 44 gallon drums that they they'd been planted in uh, because they were getting so big it's, it's really transformed the landscape certainly yeah um, David I, I I wanted to ask you about uh, the, the succession get back to the succession plan and then bring Nick into the conversation uh, with your, your your grandfather went fishing. When he retired, you said your your father retired, but he didn't go fishing. And and I wonder whether you have. And I I don't mean that facetiously, but I mean, (laughs) I do mean sometimes it in succession. The problem is the previous generation kind of finding it difficult to get out of the way of the next generation. Yes, that's a good point, a really good point.
1: Um, now, my dad was a great help to me he with just doing odd jobs and checking things, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, uh, we're pretty well established on our, in our little house on the farm here. So my, my, my plan is, and I, is to just stay here, stay around, and, and uh, uh, maybe not annoy Nick too much, but uh, just lend a hand where I can. That's what my dad did to me, and I found it very helpful but it also frees me up a little bit to look at other stuff, um, bigger picture type stuff, which I'm sort of interested in, in in terms of this sustainability question for the beef industry generally, and and um, lo- looking at the at the implications, or you know, just trying to combat the negative publicity, basically, from the uh, from all the, the, those who who dare to be different. Um, from us and and um, just try and find some good news and tell some good news stories about the beef industry.
0: David, in sustainability, you talk about three e's. um could you could you say something about what they are and how they work with you?
1: Really, all about sustainability, really. And yeah, you know, you've got to be economic and you've got to be environmentally sound, and you've got to have good sort of ethics. So, yeah, you know, I think to be long-term, seriously sustainable forever and ever, you've got to really have a fairly um,
0: solid sort of understanding of those three legs. Those those legs are environment, economics and ethics, David? Yes. Sounds like a good plan, Dave. Let's bring Nick into the story. Um, Nick, do, do you agree that your dad's... Uh, good, good at staying out of the way, and that he's helpful <laughs> around the place. And how has the how has the transition been for you? G'day, James. Yep, um, no, it's been it's been
2: good, and it will be a help because, as everyone knows, farms um, need to run seven days a week, and sometimes for longer hours than than nine to five. So. Um, many hands make light work and the transition there's always a few hiccups and no one's perfect Um, but I think we have a pretty good understanding of each other's strengths and if we can work towards them, like I do a lot of the marketing side for the farm and dad does a lot of the environmental um, stuff so we have to have a good mix in
0: in the work work balance yeah great um and nick you, you tell us a little bit about your history because you you've um, done some interesting things as well you haven't gone straight back to the farm uh and and i'm interested to know what you've learnt along the way that that you wouldn't have learnt just just going straight back to to the farm
2: Yeah, well, when I finished school, I went up to Birdsville or Inaminka and worked on a organic cattle station there, which was 2 million acres. And I think they had about 10,000 cattle at the time. And that was a bit of an eye opener. It was quite hot when I got there in February. And the fact that they cut, that this cattle was just coming out of the sand dunes, fat as mud, was a pretty good uh, learning curve for me. and there was no no inputs at all, so that was interesting. Um, and then after that, I went to Marcus, and I think a lot of people know what Marcus is all about. It's um, you get to go to a lot of farms while you're doing that course, and it's um, opens your eyes to other industries as well, not only the ones you're you're used to. It's um, yeah, it's quite. I think it's a good course. So. That was good. And then I worked up at uh, Lawson's, Lawson uh, Lawson at Yay for the Bull Stud. And that was a bit of fun. And I think from every place you work on, you just learn something big or small. Like Everyone does things differently. And there's always different people you have to work with. Some you like, some you don't like. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a different experience. So I was definitely not in a rush to come home. So then I worked at Werribee. Um, on the sewage farm there, when and that was twenty thousand acres just outside Melbourne. So I lived in Melbourne, in Peran, and drove out there every day. And that was um, that was the same thing. It was you know big scale, a lot of numbers,
0: and it was good fun. So what what was what was it? What was the learning there? Um, sounds like a crappy job, but uh, I presume that that they were um, putting. Putting the product, putting the sewage back into the land, and and uh, using that to grow pastures where they Nick. yeah yeah so they get the water out of Melbourne. I don't know if they do it anymore, but
2: they would flat irrigate on the uh, these the bays and a lot of lucerne um, and perennial pastures. And then we had a I think there was about five thousand breeding cows when I was at Angus cows, um, but also a lot of lambs, like lambs would be coming in and going out all the time. And then there's also trade stock coming from further afield um, and they'd just put put weight onto those animals and then get them processed. So it was, yeah, it was probably the biggest scale that I've worked with and and that comes with challenges and and, you know, it was intensive, but it was interesting too.
0: It's a pretty diverse background no I know your your passion is cattle uh, and you're looking to build the herd uh, on on your place um and d- does that mean moving away from sheep uh, and 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 what's it what's it mean for the future of your business yeah well it's it's probably
2: a sheep um, definitely have a have a fit but I'm trying to simplify what we do and we seem to, with having a cropping sheep and cattle business, we always uh, overlap or you can overlap some years. And I think just having one main enterprise, which will be cattle, it'll just simplify everything we do and and make life easier in the future. um, It'll mean there's more pressure on water resources but also the cattle don't graze the paddocks down as hard as sheep so you've got advantages on the other side as well so pros and cons but it's just the direction I think I want to take the business and and see where it where it ends up and how far we can go
0: We, we I talked at the top about how planting is so much a part of your approach to to farming and it has been of your dad's and your your grandfather, et cetera. Uh, And and you talk about planning from before the animal's born, don't you? It's Sort of that that whole of life planning. What are the things that you take into account and how do you use things like genetics?
2: So we look closely at genetics because that's, if you get it right, it's, um, it can be a bit of a free kick. So, That's sort of where we start. Yeah, that's the starting point. Um, But then, look, at the moment, we've got 700 cattle uh, cattle calving. So we've got to start planning for next year. If we do get a dry autumn, we want the fodder reserves to be in place to be able to support those cattle and, you know, give them a good start. Once you wean them off their mothers, we want to, you know, nutrition-wise, we want to be able to um, get them away and, and set them up for their life, basically, whether we keep them as replacements or whether we fatten them for um, the Great Southern brand, like it, it's a win-win either way, the better condition they're in, um, they'll pay us back, you know, tenfold, we think, down the track.
0: Mm. Can you give us, and perhaps this is a, a uh, could I ask David, what's that, uh, supplying to the the Great Southern brand, what are the benefits in doing that for you?
1: Certainly, I'm I'm old enough to remember the days when it was a real them and us operation with the meat industry and, yeah, you wouldn't get any feedback, barely, from the meat works at all, but, but the, the Great Southern Programme has been a complete turnaround uh, with the fellas running that in terms of, you know, what they... telling us what they need and then um, they're helping us produce cattle and um, uh, with with the benchmarks that we need to meet. And um, so it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to be gained uh, by providing a, a sort of branded product like that and and getting the grades right. And they usually, uh, all ours grade pretty well. I mean, I, I looked up some figures yesterday on the livestock data link and uh, we sold something like 594 cattle, I think, in the last year, uh, and they had a 98.1% compliance with um, the MSA requirements. Wow. So uh, once you sort of get a process and you know, they start off have weaning cattle into silage, I mean, as Nick mentioned, we do the genetics, usually involves a bit of hybrid vigour, so you're getting a free kick there. Uh, Get into the silage pits, so you're feeding the cattle. They still feed out of silage, so there's no big wagons or anything. It's all, you know, we can, I tell people we can feed 600 cattle with a motorbike, you know, and um, it's pretty easy. Um, and then, uh, so they, they grow off pretty well, and we've got a couple of other places where we take them to where we can rotationally graze them nowadays with better grasses and things. In the old days, we used to sell steers. From sort of two years old to sort of 24 to say 30 months, but um, the you know the last few years we've been selling them from 17 months, 16, 17 months to through to 24. Um, so we're you know we're we're turning them off earlier because they're getting a better start, and that's all a result of you know either well both good genetics and and better fodder. Better feed, yeah, you know, and which is all part of the planning process. Yeah, feeding them well.
0: Mm, mm. Um, it, it sounds like it, that you get, you have very clear objectives, don't you, with 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 a a program like the Great Southern Program, because you you know exactly what you're aiming for, and then it it sounds like you get that feedback every time, and you you can just hone your product so much if you're getting ninety eight percent. Compliance—that's that's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, well, we're pretty pleased. Uh, we we do like the MSA index that they've introduced now, and that's a really good indicator of where we're sitting. And we need to be able to, or our aim is to try and increase. Uh, increase out that. I think our average was 61.3 over those 594 cattle, but uh, it'd be good to increase that up to 62, 63, 64. And so one of the main things we do is just, if they're not quite right, we just don't send them. You know, we, Nick and I assess them in the yards, and if they haven't got that fat cover that we're happy with, the rib fat or the P8 fat, uh, we just don't don't send them, we leave them in the paddock and get them next month, you know. Last year, or might have been the year before, we we sold cattle eight out of the 12 months, Yeah, you know, which I was pretty pleased to be able to do. Uh, it's a really good spread of income and spreads the risk right around. But, yeah, the big thing is, that, you know, we've got to try and meet the market and meet their specifications. And if they're not right, we don't send them. Mm.
0: Terrific. Now, Nick, could I... Could I ask you, again, back to the the idea of succession, what have you got in place or what are are you putting in place in terms of succession for the next generation? Yeah, we, um,
2: Soph and I, my wife, we started talking about it a while ago because um, we did know that we had two kids on the way, or, yeah, one after the other, but um, we knew that one day it's going to be an issue that we've got to sort of start planning for, so we decided to grab a little bit of real estate. we have also got a few shares and that's just one, you know, uh, just one way that we can sort of prepare for the, you know, eventually it's either going to be one or the other or both of the kids. We don't know, but we want to have some sort of plan in place to be able to help them or help ourselves retire or a mixture of, of both. Um, but without sort of starting when we were in our low 30s, um, it would get harder and harder, I think, the later we left it. So Mm. that's why we decided to do it, yeah, just after we got married.
0: Now, your children are six and three, I believe, so um, do you have an inkling yet as to to whether either of them are farmers? No idea. (laughs) No idea. But, um, yeah, I... It's yeah, it's a very hard
2: one to know, and uh, both of them may not be at all. So you
0: know, it's um, is what it is. Uh, thanks very much, David and Nick Allen. Thanks, James.
1: Thanks, James. And and I could say that for our business, uh, grass really matters.
0: Ah, oh, terrific, David. That can be our new tagline. Uh, this has been Grass Matters, your podcast from Great Southern, which is available every Thursday after 2pm and wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on the socials at Great Southern Family and I'll speak to you next time. Bye now.